Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Andrew Enzerberger, writer, editor at Billboard. I'm guessing that you knew like uh, Screaming Infidelities, Vindicated, Hands Down, The Standards. So how, how would you critically assess the full-length albums from just diving into them today? Well, it, it was cool to me because I, I didn't realize uh, how much uh, Please You Come to Fear the Most would it's basically just like an acoustic album. Like the I, first two. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that he was kind of late to... to you know, the, the song of his that I know the best is hands down. I mean, like, cause, you know, you go out with, you know, do karaoke with people my age or a little bit younger. And then that, that's like a, one of the first songs that they go to. Uh, so I've, I've almost had to learn that one by, you know, just, just osmosis. But, uh, yeah, like that, that's like a pop punk song, basically. You know, it, it's not a, you know, I mean, but yeah, come I'm on. I'm making it's, it's, a face. You're making a face, but you know that I'm right. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that like I was going to mix it up with like Fat Lip by Sum 41, but it's definitely like a fast, like thrashy you know, pop song. It's, I wouldn't it's, call it th- okay. For, I guess w- within the realm of pop songwriting, sure. There's it's thrashy compared to. But you know, that it realm. starts off quiet and it kicks in dramatically. Sure. Of course, like yeah. that has a lot of the, the hallmarks of the period. So pop punk informed yeah. pop music. Or it's, it's, guitar it's pop. Not as snotty, obviously, as some of those other bands. But I was expecting this, uh, this you know, this album to be like a mix of that and then kind of the softer stuff, which I knew he also had the side of because I remember you know he had that MTV Unplugged special uh, covering REM's Automatic for the People. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew he wasn't like you know he he, he wasn't going to be on like a punkorama compilation or anything, but. Uh, but yeah, like uh, it, it's it's a it's a lovely album, really. Uh, some 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 interesting songwriting and, and and beautiful guitar work, and I I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess by the by the the next album, you know, it was more of a full band thing. It was less about the, the confessional singer songwriter stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, hands down is a great song. Uh, Screaming Fidelity is like I I I had no connection to it when it came out. Because like I, I remember being like distinctly freaked out by the video, because it's just like very intense close-ups of him and his big brown eyes, <laughs> and, and the title was so dramatic. Like as as a, a fan of '90s alternative, and that was kind of the alt rock that raised me. Like I just wasn't really prepared for it. Like the the, the lack of emotional disconnect. Uh, like he really put it all out there, and it, it was it was pretty jarring for for people with my sensibilities, and so I, I, that that might have been kind of the reason why it took me so long to to come back around to it. From meeting him and interviewing him, this was the first time I ever interviewed him, and I, I did this in person. This was after mm-hmm. he did a little performance meet and greet thing at the Atlantic Records office a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the the just deep earnestness, the you know the the lack of pretension, the lack of some like 
obligatory alt-rock disconnect. It's all very, it's very true. It's very real. He's just could tell from right off the bat from chatting with him, as the listeners will hear with this interview, just took his time clearly thinking about these responses, very deeply well thought through reactions to what I had to say. You could tell he was picking his words very carefully, just like a very deep earnest, well-meaning person. Yeah, and, and that was, I mean, not to say that, like, the 90s were nonstop, like, snark and sarcasm and, you know, holier-than-thou attitudes, but that certainly was the foundation for a lot of it, and this guy seemed like kind of a total break from it. And obviously, like, the, the singing style was, was, was very, you know, I, I wasn't really familiar with, you know, bands like The Promise Ring or Sunny Day Real Estate or any of the stuff that kind of laid the foundation for it. So when he, he came in and he had that, that very thick, you know, I don't know what we call it an emo accent. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how you describe it necessarily. But Emo sneer. Emo sneer. Sure, let's go with that. Emo uh, drawl. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Uh, Florida emo drawl. It, it took some getting used to, and I was not ready for it. And, uh, and that was kind of a period where I was sort of checked out from mainstream music to begin with. So I said, okay, let's, let's, let, let's let the kids like a year or two younger than me have this one, and I'll, I'll check back in in a couple of years. And but by that point, yeah, he was doing songs for like the the Spider Man Two soundtrack, and it was a little bit easier to just to, to to kind of palette at that point. And we'll talk about that in this interview coming up. What it was like dealing with uh, the reaction from the punks <laughs> when he when he did the uh, the uh, took in the the sellout move of writing a song for Spider Man. Right, like the last possible moment where that sort of thing even mattered in the slightest, maybe. So sorry about that, uh, Chris. <laughs> A uh, new album from Dashboard, Crooked Shadows, out tomorrow. His first album from Fueled by Ramen. It talks about the new record, old record, getting with Fueled by, a label that he's just looked up to and respected and been a fan of for a long time. Yeah, here it is. This is my conversation with Chris Caraba. about your mindset and um not just the label but getting in the right mindset for a dashboard record because i know you write all the time you have a bunch of projects but i get the feeling it's a very specific state of mind it takes to be in dashboard writing mode right it it does take a specific mindset and it's one that i i can't and, and and really won't force um and so that means, uh, even though I'm prolific when I'm when I'm in the in the mode, if if the inspiration's not there, I just maybe I could force it, but uh, it seems like dangerous territory. Like it, I think it's, I don't want to learn how to force this. Yeah, <laughs> I want it to just be. You know, if it, and sometimes that means I put out a record every year for f- five years straight, and. And sometimes it means I wait eight years before a record comes out, and uh, uh, it's not the necessarily like a great career strategy, <laughs> but it is the right thing to do for me. What was it that got it started? Was there a specific song that you wrote? What was was there an event in your life? What was it that kind of kickstarted this new album? It's a good question to think about what song, and I can get to what song changed the trajectory of what the album would be in a second, but I, I don't remember the specific song. Um, but I, I picked up my guitar, I started writing. I started playing, I should say, and then realized I was writing. 
And then I realized I'm writing a dashboard song. And it had been so long since one just kind of came to me. And um, I was elated, elated. And I, and I, and I wrote it out. I, I, it was like a high. And when I was finished, I thought, wow, that was, that was fantastic. It was like this, it had been long enough that I really had forgotten how special it feels to do that. And so the thing I said to myself was, Chris, don't, don't try to do this tomorrow. I was just afraid, you know, that by trying to do it, maybe I wouldn't succeed and then it would just all go to hell. <laughs> However, <laughs> the next morning I woke up and I like ran for my guitar and there was another song there. Don't do it again tomorrow, Chris, I said. And this just happened day after day until I realized I could surrender and just accept that this is it. I was writing the songs. I was writing the record. And I, I wrote quite a few. Uh, a lot, maybe, say, 20, 25 songs. And then I wrote We Fight. And this has happened to almost every record I've made, where I've written quite a lot that I think, and I think the quality is good, and I think I've written the record. And then I write a song that is uh, so clearly beyond, so so much more potent than the stuff I'd written in the run-up to that song, that I realized, that I realized, well, that was a practice run, mm. and this is where the record starts. And it's tough to say, like, ah, oh, I thought I was nearing a finish line. In fact, it was a warm-up lap. But that was okay, because uh, once you just say, instead of... Inst if you if you're like to he to hell with it, I'll just keep chasing the thing. Um, it keeps you from like being bummed out that you wrote all these songs and now what are you gonna do with them? Um, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll go back and visit those songs and they'll have reason to be visited. They'll uh, to to be used or or rethought or whatever. But frankly, when I got to We Fight. It spelled out what the record was going to be or what I thought the record should be. With the album, it's out February 9th, which we're a couple weeks away. Like, what is your mindset? What are you looking most forward to coming up? Because you've got a lot of touring, that's for sure. Well, you know uh, that I love touring, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to touring. Um, I'm looking forward to playing the new songs in front of people, though I don't think I'll play the whole record. That That's not how it works. You know, you're your fan base would love to hear some new stuff, but not too much new stuff. But enough that keeps us fired up, you know? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they'll want to hear all the new stuff. It's hard to say, but I, I, I tend to err on the side of less is more when it comes to brand new stuff. Um, I think I, I'm, already, I'm already in the process now. I'm, I'm here talking with you. I've been, um, I've been promoting the record for a couple of 
months now and I've been I guess what what resonates with me what I'm so excited about is that by rights bands that go away for eight years don't usually come back um, at all or come back and have the kind of opportunity I've been given by my fan base and here with Fuel by Ramen. And so one of the things I'm looking forward to is making the most of it and showing how grateful I am for the opportunity because it's unheralded. Yeah, take me through like you first getting into Fuel by because you coming from Boca Raton from the Florida punk and hardcore scene and Fuel by Fuel by Ramen started, you know, with Vinny from Less Than Jake around the same area. Does it have to do with coming from the same place? It does. And I'm not really from Boca. I just I'm from the Northeast and then I moved down to um to Boca. My mom was the um was the director of a home for abused kids and that's where we so she got this job as director for the home of the uh, kids that were either abused or their parents were drug addicts or felons or what have you. And so so we lived in the home. Um, so it was like rich adjacent. Boca Raton's a pretty wealthy place. But we were these, you know, ragtag group of, of kids, some kids with problems, some kids just trying to survive. And um, a lot of these kids were into punk rock. And um, and even when we moved out into our own apartment, um, while my mom was still working there, um, they remained my circle of friends. And it was like punk rock was a, and hardcore and pop punk and and indie rock. It was like this method of survival. Mm. It's like lifeblood. And among the other things that I, you know, besides like learning about these bands from these kids I was in this home with, um, was learning about like the ethos of that scene, the do-it-yourself, the DIY nature of it, the um, um, network of bands working together, and then these little labels that were starting up that you would trust the label. And Fueled By was one of these labels. So, you know, I think we started in Gainesville, and if I'm not mistaken, and uh, at least that's where Lesson Jake was. So I think that's mm. where we started. And so it felt like ours because it was part of Florida. Florida's a weird place. It's really geographically isolated. Look, Florida's a weird place anyway. But it's geographically isolated. So, like, we had our bands, but then bands from other states wouldn't come way, way down there. It's didn't make any sense for them money-wise you know gas money and all that but we had these we had like fuel by rum and they start putting out these records for these bands and they're like one after the next they're just incredible and you just not then you get to this place where you're getting buying the record having no idea what the band sounds like but because you trust that label so much so it was informative for me in, in the beginning big time um, I modeled my career after labels like 
bands on these labels and labels themselves, labels like Vagrant Records, which I was on, um, Fuel by Ramen, a course like Discord, which was you know, to some degree sub-pop, you know. But mm. Fuel by Ramen was, am- was amazing in that it goes from this homespun, like, dorm room thing to one of the biggest labels in the world and the trust factor remains like i'll still if a re- if they put out a record i'm almost certain i'm gonna like it because their taste is so good their quality's control so good and they just they don't sign tons of bands they just sign the right bands all the time Yeah, thinking back with that scene, like, I want to talk a little bit about this to give the readers, the listeners, a good, uh, good picture of this. Tell me about some of the bands from back then that maybe were you played bills with, or maybe older bands you looked up to a little bit. Who are some you think that maybe should be given another listen these days? Who are maybe a little bit forgotten? Who people would be good to dig up? Hard for me to say what, whether they're forgotten or not, but I can tell you, um, you know, bands that were older than us that I certainly looked up. Of course, Lesson Jake was was one. Um, their sense of melody, their powerful driving guitar, everything about that band was incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Hot Water Music is one of the best bands, if not the best band ever to come out of Florida. Um, there was the the um, the Miami scene, which was tough tougher uh but produced these incredible bands like uh machete and um and floor which is the not the floor that's on fuel by ramen but floor which became torch one of the greatest bands ever um there was uh and then there was these all these great great hardcore bands like Shy Hulud, um uh, Poison the Well um, the the thing about that I didn't know was was odd until I started going and touring and being in other parts of the country was that you could have a bill and the bill could be, say, this is an actual bill. Further Seems Forever, which was a band I was in, which was like a math rock band. Newfound Glory, when they were really young, and it was very like snide pop punk. That's a good way to describe it. In the early days, yep. And then Shy Halud, which was like a ferocious uh but very melodic hardcore band um less than jake which is a ska band and no one would think oh that's weird that these bands would play together there was just music it wasn't oh well that's not cool because it's this or it's not all the way that it was we all got the same attitude so we mm-hmm. can play together and there were some bills like that that had dashboard when it was just you and an acoustic right sure i mean i remember playing like with like with like morning again which is 
this one of the heaviest hardcore bands I've ever heard. I mean, this is one just in Florida, and um, and um, another bill I remember was you know was a dashboard. This is like down in South Florida, like dashboard. I actually think this was Dashboard's first show. It was Dashboard and Saves the Day. Oh, wow. And um, and then later, you know, I, uh, you know, I did get to experience what that was like. Cause all I knew was like the hardcore and punk scene. So it's not like just because I had an acoustic guitar, I was like going to go out and play coffee shops. I still <laughs> have never played a coffee shop. Um, it just wasn't the world I knew. So like I was... I booked hardcore shows and I booked hardcore tours. So that's what I ended up doing is I went on tour with H2O and Snapcase and Face to Face, three pretty heavy bands with me and an acoustic guitar. And um, I didn't think it was weird. And I n- noticed it was weird for the audience, but only at first. And and then they ended up buying, buying my record that night. You know, it doesn't work on paper, but it worked in, in reality because... They got that they understood the fans did by and large, you know, understood that this was the spirit of punk rock, the spirit of hardcore, whether it was a presentation of it or not. It was the spirit of it. Yeah. Newfound Glory and, and Dashboard, we used to have this joke, you know, that we were for both our bands were like four hardcore kids' girlfriends. It wasn't exactly true, but it was like what hardcore kids used as an excuse to come to our shows. Sure. Oh, my girlfriend really likes you. But they loved it themselves. And they're wearing the t on my shirt, you know what I mean? Mm. So I was like, "Um, you not so much? And they would laugh, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're wearing the shirt, you know. I I liked that era where it was like where we were embraced by guys with neck tattoos who were pretending they were there because it was a date or something like that but they were there because they they believed in it yeah it sounds like for the most part people were freshly open-minded but i've heard some stories was it tough early on because i've heard about like you know people yelling not so friendly things at early dashboard shows when you're with all these other hardcore bands on the bill people throwing things like did that happen yeah yeah oh yeah so (laughs) this was funny uh one night we were playing in upstate New York, and man, I got so many quarters thrown at me, just bouncing off my head, my guitar, all over the stage, and getting off the stage. And Toby from H two O just goes, "Where are you going?" I go, "I'm, I'm done, uh, finished." He goes, "Go get that money. You earned that money." And he made me go out and collect the change, and then he put on a dashboard shirt, went out there, told his audience off told them why he believed in what I was doing. And I sold more merch that night, I think, than I did on any other night of the tour. And from then on out, it was like, I mean, that was not, I mean, yes, it happened a lot. You know, there's, I have, I put myself in the position on purpose to be polarizing. um, Because I thought there was merit to it, to the challenge of going out there and, and, uh, winning over people that were predisposed to not like it. Mm. I thought that's the only way I was going to get any good at this. Well, this is it. 
I wanted to ask you about some of the younger artists who you've collaborated with and just been friends with and put out there recently. And I think that's a good lead in to talk about your work with Julian Baker because there's a lot of parallels with what she does on stage. Yeah, well, she's, I mean, I, I love her music and I love her. She's one of the most, she's brilliant. She's a brilliant person. She's a great friend. Um, and she's an inspiration. I think she is preternaturally gifted she's a gifted gifted writer singer and and guitar player um and i think she's a trailblazer i think she's doing something that is causing people to rethink uh, to become more open-minded about what they're in for and maybe what they want for music Another one is Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, I listen mm. to her record and I'm astonished by the lyricism. I'm just completely astonished. They, it is so brilliant. There, she is. Her lyrics are so moving so challenging and so brilliant and her voice is so strong but she does this thing where it's like in very select moments I doubt she ever does it on purpose it just happens which is the beauty of it there's a frailty to her delivery that makes it more inviting oh it's just she's just incredible yeah um, Motion Sickness was one of my favorite tracks last year. Such a good song. Incredible. You missed my heart. Oh my God. Is there anyone else in that same wavelength, newer artists who you want to mention? Man, there's a ton. Um, there's a band called Youth um, that I think will knock people out in the coming year. Okay. Um, it's just an independent release, and it's shockingly good. Um, Bully, I know they're already mm. on fire, but for good reason um, 
I think that uh, culture abuse is is uh, writing some of the best music I've heard in a long time. I think uh, who else would I mention? Oh, of course, Sorority Noise, one of my favorites. And I know, like, I've become more biased the closer I get to, with Cam. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I just think that dude's on a different level. Um, it's a really good time for music if you are a believer in lyrics. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you're just really drawn to songwriters who communicate emotion in such like jarring, direct ways. Well, I think there's something beautiful about y using metaphor in a very, in a very limited way. Hmm. At least that's how I approach my songwriting when it's for Dashboard. And that's the difference between Dashboard and Twin Forks, where I use m metaphor. I drape the whole thing in metaphor for Twin Forks. In dashboard i use it very sparingly just enough that it doesn't sound like completely conversational mm -hmm. and that makes it raw somehow and uh, yes that that is something i i find uh special about songwriting and that that's not genre specific i think uh future islands is one that 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 does that and they're from a completely different scene. It's a turn thing. I I really like talking about like where you got a lot of your ethos from the scene back in the day. Like, I'm guessing that in navigating things now, you know, being with you know Fuel by as part of a major label, being part of the industry in some ways, probably like what you learned back in the day, like still guides you a lot and what you do and what you don't do, things like that. Well, you know, when you learn that those lessons very early on in your teens, they're just that's the stuff that's ingrained in you. Mm. And you just have a sense of how to do things. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know that, that that probably has kept me from certain successes because there were games I didn't want to play mm. because it didn't align with my ethos that I'd, I'd learned as a younger person. Um, but... I'm satisfied. I don't, I'm not, I'm not gel, I'm not, I don't lament missing out on this bit of fame or that bit of fame because I don't think that's really the important piece of the puzzle here for my career. I certainly f feel lucky that we've been relevant, but I, uh, I don't feel a burning need to be famous. That was never part of of all the lessons you know we were being taught by the older kids 
getting famous was not was not like a laudable desire. Yeah, when you're saying you stepped back from certain things, certain opportunities, I'm thinking maybe that was around the time when you were getting a lot of acclaim and success for songs like Stolen and for Vindicated. Was that around the time where you kind of just had to dial back and be like, eh? Said no more than yes at, at some point there. And there's things that, there's a couple of things I said yes to that I, I sort of wish I'd said no to. Um, it was, none of it was detrimental, but it still s- feels odd to hmm. me. Um, but sometimes you're just like, well, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it is good to get out of your comfort zone and to get out of your own way, to take chances. So that's why you'll say yes sometimes where your instinct is to say no. So you shouldn't be doggedly adherent to your instincts. But I will say they're usually right. Sure. Yeah, and also from just like like this, coming from a punk scene like that, there's probably going to be certain kids who, no matter what, or maybe they're adults, who no matter what, are going to hate on you and call you a sellout no matter what you do. Because it's making me think, with no idea, I remember reading Laura Jane Grace's autobiography about Against Me back in the day and how from when she, like, from when she first signed to No Idea from being completely DIY, people said sell out. Then when they went to Epitaph, there were, like, another round of people who said sell out. And then when they went to a major label, there were, like, a whole new group of sellout callers. So it's like, That's you amazing. Know you know, first of all, the fact that you named No Idea... This blesses me out because <laughs> I was obsessed with, with that. That was another Fuel By. It was like Fuel By, Vagrant, No Idea, and Revelation Records. Those were like the ones that I just could trust. And uh, and Equal Vision. And um was shocked when I found out that No Idea was like run out of a office space the size of like probably a bathroom in this building. Mm-hmm. Um, or bathroom in any building, I should say. Um because it just seemed like, well, they put all the best bands out. They've got Hot Water Music. They've got Against Me. They've got, you know, everything, all these bands. Um, so to be, to hear that they were knocked for signing to a label that had a mail order <laughs> as their main <laughs> distribution, is, it's not, well, it's funny where I came from, I understand people having that. And so when I was hit with it, I got it because I felt that way. These bands were, were, they left us behind. That's what you thought. And it's totally normal. Like there's an age where you, you're, there's, a, there's a time in your life where you're at an age where uh, if a band moves out of your s- circle, You're angry and judgmental. And then some time goes by and then you just realize you just love the band and you go back to listening to the band. Uh, yeah, I got it. I got I got beat up for signing to... It was, first it was self-released. Then it was Vagrant. And like... Yeah, I got. I remember like um, 
I remember just getting destroyed for signing a vagrant for all this money. <laughs> and um, it was, they gave me $6,000. Um, because that's what my credit card debt was. And I told them if I could clear my debt, then I could just tour constantly. But $6,000 was the mark where I, that I got, I got hung on. Juxtaposed with, at that time, in music, like bands were signing five, ten million dollar deals. Mm, yeah. And I got beat up for signing a deal for, for six grand. And, uh, and frankly, when I got the check, felt guilty cashing it. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, stuff like this it just blows my mind how people will get themselves into an uproar when they just know so little of what's actually going on behind the scenes. It's okay. I think that's okay. I think it's a youth movement. And if you're going to be passionate about a band, you can be angry about their decisions. Mm. And you can stop listening if you want, and you can yell about it if you want. Um, or you can root for them as passionately I think you can't have one without the other and I'd rather have those kids as fans than any, anybody else mm. and if you got shit for going to Vagrant I'm guessing you got some for doing a song for Spider-Man 2 I'm sure I did at that point I think I I, I think that it was it was more it, okay let's in between that wait am I right here yeah I I picked up an electric guitar. That's when that's when I got a lot of shit. Mm. Um I got more shit for that than Vindicated. Vindicated they were already over it. At least the ones that were complaining were over it as in they they checked out. They were gone. Um Though probably so. There were probably kids that ripped me for for having a song in Spider-Man. They were, they were wrong. It was awesome. I was psyched to be involved with the movie. I'm genuinely one of the biggest comic book fans you're ever going to meet. I wrote a song that fit. And it got to be in a Sp- Spider-Man movie. I mean, 
you can knock me if you want to, but I was, <laughs> I'm still psyched about it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of what else. Um, shout out to our friend Tom Mullen, who just came through. I was yeah. listening to your Watched Up Emo podcast last night to prepare for this. Tom's Tom's a good friend. He's been on my podcast a couple of times. Um, it was interesting because you, you talked to him a couple of years back, and he was like asking you about you know the emo revival and whatnot. And I feel like you know it's things have progressed in really interesting ways, and there's so many like interesting bands who in really meaningful ways are taking the music of Dashboard and like bands that came before Dashboard. So I was wondering like, are there certain bands from that who you're really into now, and just like what you think about all that influence? Well, I think we talked about them. Um, and then there's the amazing like uh, hybrid of like hip hop and emo that's really exciting and doesn't feel that unusual to me because that's what I, I grew up listening to a ton of hip hop and my lyrics are a bit spitfire hmm. and um, r- rhythmic and wordy and it's not that far that's bi- not that big of a leap um, I love that there's just this collision of genres now um and i think uh, you know to go back to tom i think he's like kind of an amazing curator of the history of our scene and with but but has his eyes looking forward you know Mm. it's amazing that he's he's making sure people know about bands that are going to be important too get nothing to wear on the podcast on yours or, or his either or but speaking about like the collision of hip-hop and emo and people who are interesting now it seems like that fits in perfectly although it seems like he doesn't do a ton of press if any at all but a lot of those guys don't it's it's amazing they're they they are insular they're fan direct it's pretty pretty similar to how our scene started now frankly that was because nobody wanted to write about us <laughs> all back then but we made a we we developed a relationship with our audience and that audience spoke loudly to their friends about who to listen to and that they had to listen to us it's happening in that scene too Yeah, your track with Nothing Nowhere, and we'll drop in a little bit of it for the listeners, but tell me how that came together. I was a fan and found out he was a fan and we kind of like I think it was like a just like kind of like a throwaway joke of like we should do something together and then like I thought on it later like that I I really actually really want to do something together and then the next day he was like you know I really want to do something together I was like send me anything I'd be psyched so the next day he sent me hopes up and I sang on it and felt really connected and feel really connected to it plus 
I hope you get a chance to speak to him one day. He's, he's brilliant. He's mm-hmm. just a brilliant person. Fascinating guy. And that's a, like we were talking about Julian, we're talking about Phoebe, we're talking about even like we haven't, but like little Lucy Vert and like sorority noise. These, these folks are like, they're not ashamed about the fact that they're really intelligent. They're not trying to be dumb rockers or anything like that. They're also not trying to be like walking thesauruses or anything like that, but they're just, they're going to show their intellect and their emotional intellect within the song mm-hmm. without feeling like they're going to get knocked like, oh, what is this, SAT music? I <laughs> saw somebody say that about one of the, I forget which hip-hop emo hybrid band they That's said that about. That's a rough criticism. It's a dumb one. <laughs> it's like, oh, the guy had managed to work in a word you didn't understand? That doesn't sound like his problem to me. It sounds like yours. Yeah, and like, what's I gonna say? Like, when you were first when you were first starting that thought, I thought you were gonna say they're not afraid to show emotion in the music. But I, I thought it's really interesting that you said they're not afraid to show intellect in music, because I guess like in some circles, like being too wordy or being too smart could come off as like pretension. But I think it's important to view that there's a, there's a way to make it work. There is, and they are. And by the way, they are not afraid to be. Emotional. <laughs> That's for sure. And in a scene, if we're talking about the hip hop scene, where hyper masculinity had been the norm for for quite a while, um, and I think that's what's appealing to people that got that love hip hop but got just tired of bragging. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised it took this long. Although I don't know if it did. You know, if you, I mean, I w- I'll maintain that Eminem is a forebearer to that kind of thing and also very heavily the streets. Sure. Uh, influenced that. I don't know whether they, because he's British and I don't know how much he was embraced here. I'm not sure. I just don't know. It could be that he was huge here. I, I didn't know it. He's huge to me, so I figure everybody knows him. Um, I think he was the archetype for a lot of what's going on right now. Yeah, and getting out of that like hyper masculinity, the probably for you starting dashboard in a hardcore scene, like probably that was like an important theme for you, right? Well, it was exactly that. It was it was an attempt to uh, explore a lot of subject matter that I felt I wasn't allowed to in the other bands I was in. And we didn't really play tough guy music, but we really didn't talk about feelings either. Mm. Um, it'd be politics or, or it either be politics, politics or social politics or, or, or uh, just kind of stories that were hard to remember i'm going through my like rolodex and my, <laughs> my mental rolodex trying to think of this song or that song but it was different it was different than that we didn't feel the license to go ahead and write plainly about how we feel and things we're going through 
Is there anything else you want to touch on? Maybe circle back to the new album. Anything else? No, I mean I'm so excited about the new record. The fact that it's going to be out there in the world, you know, instead of just me and a select few people. I'm excited about sharing it with people. Yeah, nice nine song album. I like, I like nine song album. It's not even something about not even ten. Like yeah. the nine, the nine track album. Yeah, it was by design. Mm-hmm. You know, we figured there's you know the one instinct, the one opinion of like it's been a long time, put a lot of songs out. Mm. But I thought, why not? I looked at the length of my first record. It was about 29 minutes. It's like, let's do that again. So this one's about 29 minutes. It's nice to... It's a nice... It's all meat, I think. Yeah, it's like the length of a punk album or like a set when you go to see a show with maybe five bands on the bill. Mm-hmm. It's good length. So yeah, Crooked Shadows, February 9th. And uh can't come soon enough. <laughs> so excited. 9 years, right? 9 years coming. Yeah. Sometimes you got to wait 9 years. <laughs> well, Chris, this was fun. Thanks so much for catching up and reminiscing. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Totally. Cool. Let's wrap then. So that is it. That is my conversation with Chris Caraba. I'm back here in the Billboard office with Andrew Unterberger. Thank you so much for just waiting for me while I ran oh, yeah, no, ran no, up no problem ran up town yeah. to, the, to the Atlantic <laughs> Records office. Yeah, sitting here twiddling my thumbs. I have, a, I have a question for you, actually. Is that the first Chris you've ever interviewed on your podcast? That's a good question. There's never been a Chris Conley interview. No. Chris Conley saves a day. Man, I, I, my my mind's not ready to go through the, the Rolodex of every Chris Possible in my head. Chris's but but, but for, for for now, I'll say yeah, sure yeah, it is. That's, a, that's an honor for for Chris Carabas. Yeah. yeah, not the only bit of Billboard press that Chris has gotten this no, no. album cycle. Got some big fans in the office. Tell me what you've been working on. All right, so I, I, I worked with a freelancer. We both know uh, Bobby Olivier, I believe, of NewJersey.com, NJ.com. Went to school with him, too, TCNJ. Yeah, represent. Uh, and he pitched me on doing something dashboard-related. I think he, he initially wanted to do something about like the best deep cuts in their catalog. Uh, and we went back and forth about it for a little bit, and, and we, we decided on him uh, reaching out to a bunch of different artists from different genres uh, and, and you know, kind of asking them the same question, which is, you know, what is the dashboard song that changed your life? And he got he got like a really interesting variety of answers, a variety of like songs, and he, t- he talked to a, a pretty good range of artists. Uh, he talked to you know, a country star Casey Musgraves and uh, emo star uh, emo rap star Nothing Nowhere, who I think you actually like talked about recently. Yeah, uh, we were both big fans of that album, uh, and obviously Chris Carabo's on that album himself. Uh, and then some other like little lesser known artists, uh, the guy who founded Emo Night in Los Angeles, whose name escapes me at the moment. But the, the headliner of the, of the bunch of artists that he that he talked to was none other than than pop global superstar Taylor Swift, who, uh, oh. d- d- despite being in the midst of you know, something of a media blackout, uh, she's not talking. She's not talking. No, she 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 is not offering a lot of quotes to a lot of places. But she gave us one about her favorite dashboard song, uh, and that's that was uh, well. Maybe I shouldn't ruin which one it was. Yeah, go you, go yeah. find it. But go, go check that out on Billboard.com. I'll say it's not you know, it's not the most uh, you know not, not not the deepest of choices. Not the, not the one that'll be like oh man like she she really knows her stuff but, but it's a very genuine answer it's a very thoughtful answer uh and, and it really sounds like her and it sounds and it, it's just so cool 
A, that like that, that, that Taylor Swift is like a big enough fan that she would take out the time to do this, and B, that like Dashboard inspires this kind of fanaticism in people that like even 20 years later, like you know, you're, you're, you're 15 years later, like you're, you're still that kind of you know teenage fan always when you're listening to them, and like someone just asks you about them, you just start gushing automatically. You don't even think about like, oh, well, maybe I'm like too old or too cool or too famous to be like talking about this still. But Dashboard still has that kind of really intimate connection with fans that that, that, that probably won't, won't die out anytime soon. Yeah, so check out Taylor Swift. The songs are out there if you haven't heard them. Buzz buzz artists for now. Yeah. Some, other, some others to get into. Uh, all the ones, I, I just want to give another shout out to all the artists that Chris and I gloated over in the podcast. Uh, Nothing Nowhere, Phoebe Bridges, Bridgers, Julian Baker, Future Islands, check them out. We also shouted out Tom Mullen who actually came by and helped me check my mics right before I started recording with Chris Caraba. Tom's an employee of Atlantic Records. That's why he was in the office. But more importantly for these purposes, he runs uh, the premier emo podcast, Washed Up Emo Podcast. He's been doing it for a long time. And I actually had him on this podcast a couple weeks back at the, uh, the end of December. And he was talking about his new book, Emo History Book, Emo Interviews, that he put out recently. So go into the archives for this show, search hashtag alternative facts, find that interview with Tom of Washed Up Emo. And if you're into that or here for the Dashboard interview, some other ones recently I think you'd be into. Jeff Rosenstock we had on the show, Tonight Alive, Front Bottoms, a lot of good stuff to dig into there. Subscribe to the show, get it automatically every week, give us a star rating, drop in some feedback. You can find me on Twitter at CPain on a plane. And Andrew, tell us your handle. That's uh, at AU Get Off My Gold. Get at us, and uh, we'll see you next Thursday. Take care, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.